going to talk to you as part of this series that we've got on Hebrews 11. And I'm going to be looking at Sarah. So, um, verse 11. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was unable to bear children because she considered him faithful who made the promise. Jamie gave me the person of Sarah. And actually, I wasn't that chuffed once I started looking at her because I thought she wasn't really all that, to be honest. Uh, she, she does do a fantastic thing. She considers God faithful. So therefore, you know, he made the promise he's faithful. But she's actually a really flawed character. Um, I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I tend to read uh, a few verses or a chapter at a time and I wait for God to speak to me. I don't often look at the whole life of a person from beginning to end. So it's actually been really good to have a look at Sarah. And she is actually quite a flawed character. So what I found really encouraging was actually how God treats her. And as I looked at her, it just made me love God even more. And I hope that as I go through things that occurred to me as I look at her life, that you'll be inspired as well. Mm. Um, Sarah was married to Abraham. And I reckon that if there was an Old Testament version of EastEnders, they would have been in it. (laughs) (laughs) Abraham, or Abram as he was called to begin with, um, is like this great man of faith. And I don't know if you remember that story where uh, they finally get their child Isaac and uh, God says he wants Abram to make a sacrifice and he takes his son. And he thinks that he may have to sacrifice his son. And it goes right to the wire. He even gets his blade out and it looks as if he's going to have to sacrifice his one and only son. But actually, he knows God so well that he knows that he hasn't got to do that and God's going to provide a different uh, sacrifice. And that's the thing that I always remember when I think about Abram. Wow, what a great guy. I would have hated to have done that. But you may not remember that actually, on two separate occasions, when he was with his wife and they were facing danger against two very strong men with massive armies, he actually allowed his wife to kind of be kidnapped and taken into their um, harems and very nearly became these powerful men's wives on two occasions, just because Abraham was trying to cover his back and he was a bit of a scaredy cat. He and Sarah make quite a lot of wrong choices. What's really funny is that in uh, 1 Peter 3, 6, uh, Peter commends Sarah for calling Abraham her Lord. Well, I certainly wouldn't have done that if my husband did. (laughs) Sorry, Tim. (laughs) So, through their lives, Abraham and Sarah both show poor judgment and get themselves into scrapes, but God honours them despite everything. Uh, Next slide, please, Josh. The first time that we are introduced to Sarah is in Genesis 11, 27-30. And it's really interesting the way that she's introduced to us. Lots of times when people are introduced in the Bible, we know who their parents were, who their siblings were, and there's often a long line to describe it. Uh, we know that Milka, we know who her dad was, and we know that she had a sister called Iska. But Sarah, the only thing we know about her in verse 30 is that she's childless and barren. When I first read that, I thought, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? You can't say, like, she was good at drawing or <laughs> she had uh, lots of really nice, beautiful sisters or something. No, she was barren and childless. And I, but I don't know if you knew, but I'm a teacher. And uh, when I teach my children English and we look at books and we look at authors, children have a tendency of thinking that a book just comes down magicked and it's fully formed. They never think about the choices that the author makes 
about the plot or the character, the way the characters are described to us and when they're described to us. And I think we sometimes forget that about the Bible as well. Sarah uh, was barren, and that was the most important thing God wanted us to highlight because that was the one thing that he was going to change about her. When we have those bits in my class where the author gives us an important bit of information and we know it's going to be exciting, I make my class go, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> no, I won't make you do that. This, in this verse, it's definitely a duh, duh, duh moment. So we're introduced to Sarah as Barrett, not because God wants us to make us feel sympathy for her, but because that's the one thing that he's going to change. Another key fact about Sarah is that she had to live with unfulfilled promises for absolutely ages. The first promise was to do with Abram. She was married to a man whom God made a very particular promise, that he would be the father of great nations, lots of descendants, as many as the particles of dust that Abram was shown by God, and as many as the stars in the sky. But they had to wait. They had to hold on to that promise for 25 years. How tough is that? Second promise, when Abraham was 75, and his wife similarly over the hill, God told them to move. I don't know about you, but I don't fancy moving when I'm 75. (laughs) They had to leave their home in Haran and move to Canaan, which God had promised to give them. But at the time, the area wasn't vacant. It wasn't ready for them to move in and settle their stuff in. Actually, in Canaan, not surprisingly, lived the Canaanites. They had buildings, probably would have had wells, walls, pens to keep their animals in, buildings of some sort of structure, which Sarah and Abram must have seen as they approached the land. So Sarah, Abraham, their extended family servants and livestock must have camped near those places that were already dwelt in by somebody else. They must have been saying to themselves, this is the land that God promised us, when actually right in front of them they could see an opposite truth. So again, living with another promise, not fulfilled. So when we have things like that, I wonder whether what you do, whether you wait on God, or whether you want to try to sort things out because you're getting a bit impatient. Sarah was really human. She waited absolutely ages. She still wasn't pregnant. She found a solution for herself. She believed God's promises that Abraham would have many descendants, but she didn't see how God could really do it through her because she was so old. So she decided to help him out. Read the next verse, please, Josh. So, verse 16. Now Sarah... Abram's wife had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave him to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. It's so difficult to wait, I think. Well, I'm definitely impatient. And especially in today's society where we can fix lots of things. I mean, sometimes it's right to do that. God's given us a creative brain and we can come up with creative solutions. But sometimes it's wise to wait. I think about that especially with parents. And sometimes when they're little, we can actually sort things out. I can think about a time uh, when Tom was in about year four or year five and he was bullied. And we could have gone into the headmaster at the time and said, we'd like Tom to go into a different class. 
We did pray about it. We weren't really sure whether that would solve it. We didn't want to intervene. We wanted God to sort it out. We didn't know if Tom had stuff to learn, so we left it. And actually, the school decided to put him in a different class, and it was okay. But sometimes I can think of other times when they were much older and they went through really hard times where we actually couldn't do anything at all. And then you have to really trust in a God who loves your kids much more than you do and can actually do a much better job than you do. But you still have to decide, is this for whomever, whether it's your children or family or whoever or yourself, do you wait on God? Do you do something? It's worth thinking about it before you rush in. Have the other quote, please, Josh? As I was kind of doing research, I came across this amazing quote by a guy called Marcus Dodd. If your joy is only fixed on what you can achieve for yourself, no joy will ever be yours. I can think of times where God has intervened and we haven't done stuff. And wow, isn't that amazing? Because it's got nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. So Sarah sorted out that problem herself. And of course it didn't bring her the joy that she wanted. Yes, Hagar got pregnant and then she teased and mocked Sarah all the more. And she is more miserable than ever. How awful it must have been for her now that Abraham, her, her husband, had a child with her servant and still Sarah can't conceive. She became hurt and angry and blames Abram for having agreed with her plan in the first place and banishes Hagar because she can't cope with her continued jeering. Hagar is unkind to Sarah, there's no doubt about that, but Sarah sends her out of their camp without any idea as to whether she'd survive or not. We need to be careful that we're not unkind to people when we are hurt. It's easy to do that, isn't it? When we are hurt, to look outwards and blame somebody else. It doesn't look in the Bible as if Sarah poured out her thoughts to God at this time. There's nothing in there that says she does. David, the psalmist, did. It's great reading his stuff. He really has a go at God sometimes. He's completely honest. But I think God really loves that because he wants to talk to us. He's our father. We need to talk to him all the time. Not because it's the law, because we have to, but because he made us have a friendship with him. And so we're more happy, even in the hard times, if we talk to God. So don't withdraw yourself from God, or God's people, actually. You know, sometimes we may not know you close enough to know when you're going through a hard time, but sometimes we know you're going through a hard time because we don't see you. And, you know, it's such a shame because people sometimes withdraw themselves at the very time they most need God and they most need God's people. So, you know, God loves you, and so do we. And so we're here for you, and definitely so is God. What's really encouraging is to see God's response to the mess that Sarah makes. Does he go along with Sarah and Abraham's plan B? Oops, I'm stuck now. Sarah's mucked it up. I'll have to go along with Hagar being the mother of all nations. Or does he choose another couple, completely separate to Abraham and Sarah, because they're obviously you know, not very good? No. God is God. He'll bring about what he's promised. Not surprisingly, he can fix up all our messes. He's also a loving, faithful and persevering God, even when we're faithless and weak. In fact, doesn't it make you want to fall to your knees when you do muck stuff up and still things go right? I know that feeling. We're so aware of our failings and then God comes through with his loving promises and fixes everything. There's another quote, Josh, which is a very short one, which I really like. One commentator said, Alexander White, God's promises hold their course. And I had this image of God being the sailor on a really turbulent sea. And his plan, his line for you, his future for you is set. And it doesn't matter 
how windy it becomes because of bad choices by us, God is going to get us to where he's going to get us. There's so many times when we sin, but we're not even aware of it, I think. And then there's those times when we definitely get it wrong and we know we've blown it. And I wonder how you anticipate that God's going to treat you in those times. I think that reveals our knowledge of God. Maybe sometimes we've got some previous experiences that we put onto God that aren't real. God looks after Hagar after she's banished by Abram and Sarah. And he comes back 13 years later to Abram with the promise again about him becoming the father of nations. And actually, actually this promise is renewed by three men, which are presumably angels. Sarah overhears the angels and laughs. She doesn't believe that she could become the mother at this stage in her life. Josh, please. Unfortunately, God hears her, which is funny, because of course he hears her. And God challenges her about her laughter. And what does Sarah do? Does she apologise? No. She denies it, basically saying to God that he must be mistaken. He must have a hearing problem or something. It's funny. Disrespectful. No, I think actually it's fearful. What are we like when we get things wrong? Do we expect God's wrath and therefore try to avoid him, as I've already mentioned? God didn't punish Sarah, even though she lied to him and then denied it. She must have seen, he must have seen that she was fearful. And actually, there's, in the New Testament, there's sort of like a parallel where Zechariah doesn't believe that his wife Elizabeth can become pregnant. Um, and actually, he's struck dumb until the baby's born. <clears throat> he was talking to angels then. I do wonder whether angels are a bit less tolerant than God. But I'm not suggesting that as a new theology. <laughs> God treats, I think, what I think it does show is that God treats us differently. Because we've got different personalities, respond differently, so he treats us differently. But we mustn't be frightened. After all, God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. And he's appeared to us, and he he does show us an everlasting love, and he does draw us with unfailing kindness. And there's so much stuff in the Bible, isn't there, that says how much God loves us. Mm We need to know that we are loved beyond measure. So much so that he sent Jesus just to continue that friendship with us. So we mustn't avoid God. Don't expect him to be angry at you. He already knows the stuff we do wrong. He knew the stuff we would do wrong before he even saved us. So we don't need to be fearful because he loves us. Another thing that struck me as I was looking at the life of Sarah is how important names are. When God came and brought the promise to Abraham later on in their life, <clears throat> he said to Abram that he should now call himself Abraham, which means the father of nations. And he also made a promise to Sarah. Josh, next slide, please. God said to Abraham that he was now to call Sarah, Sarah, with an H. Which, again, before I really thought about it, I thought, well, what's the big deal of that? You're just changing an I with an H. I'm going to give you a little bit of a grammar lesson. Sarah, with an I, means my princess. When you replace the I with an H, you take away the possessive pronoun of my. And so it becomes, instead of her being my princess, maybe the princess of her dad or something, she now becomes a general princess, a princess of everybody who would have heard her name being said at that time. And because God said he was going to make her the mother of nations and kings then it takes a princess to be a mother of a king, doesn't it? So if she is a general princess, 
then yes, she's a princess of all the nations. So that is a significant name, just that I going to an H. We have names that are given to us and we need to embrace them. We are chosen before time. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are cherished. We need to read those names, soak them in and believe them. Like Jamie was saying, I thought it did in quite well about believing what God says uh, about us. Another thing uh, I thought was good was actually Sarah does get a son. Uh, yes, next one please, Josh. And she chooses a name. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So she calls her son Isaac, which means laughter. And again, when I looked at it before, I thought, well, yeah, obviously she's really happy now. But when I thought about it more and I thought of myself in that situation, I probably would have called him, it's about time too. Or, <laughs> <laughs> or I was getting bored of waiting or something like that. But no, she calls him laughter, which is really interesting. Because laughter is the thing that really plagued her life, I think. Laughter against her. She didn't have any children, yet God apparently promised her a child. But where was that child? God promised her and her husband the land of Canaan. And yet if he promised it, why were there still Canaanites in it? Why did she have to wait 25 years? People must have gossiped and laughed behind her back and within her hearing. We know that Hagar certainly did. Sarah herself laughed, actually, not in a joyful way, but kind of mocking herself when the angel's promises, promise came that she would bear, bear a child. So the very thing that brought her pain, laughter against her, she turned around for good, because Isaac means laughter. And actually, laughter's a tool in itself. We can laugh about something when it doesn't hurt anymore, when it's no longer worthy of our tears. And if we can't laugh, or at least feel a bit of lightness about something, we may need to ask God why. Am I believing a lie that's stopping me? And we've talked about this in the church, haven't we? That sometimes if we feel a heaviness, maybe we don't believe God's truth. Um, I don't know, I don't think many of you have, have um, spent time with Angie. She has a ministry where she prays with you. And you don't really notice she's there. All she does is that she kind of guides you to talk to God and kind of just explore the things that you believe and maybe think about some things which, in theory, you believe, I've said this to her, I've said to her a couple of times, well, I know what I'm meant to say. And I was able to just be honest with her and kind of talk, talk to God about things maybe that I didn't quite believe, but I knew what the right answer was to. And I think it's really telling that if you do feel a bit of heaviness or you can't laugh about something that causes you pain, maybe you need to spend time with God. It doesn't need to be around you. You can just soak with God and just let him, his Holy Spirit, speak to you. When I was thinking about laughing at painful things, I thought about a situation I'd been able to laugh about that had caused me pain. My, children, uh, my parents divorced when I was about two. Uh, we were abroad at the time, and my mum and me came back to this country, and my dad stayed out there, and he was in Australia, actually. And he came over to this country when I was three and five and seven, uh, and I saw him then. But I didn't see him again until I became a Christian in my 20s when I sought him out. But I did keep really close relationship with my dad's dad, my grandpa. And I used to go a couple of times a year, and then when I was a little bit older, it was just me and him. 
and we used to have a really good time. But I used to go to that house and I used to see photos of my dad and my uncle, whom I look very much like, and know, and I would actually hear about him coming over to this country, and I wouldn't see him. And I'd feel a bit invisible, sort of inconvenient, as if my presence was... You know, he had a second family by then, as if it was just not really... Yeah, it was inconvenient. Anyway, in my 20s, I got back into contact with him. It was okay. It was never brilliant, but it was okay. But what I'd done in the meantime was become a Christian and found out God's promises about me, which are that he chose me from the beginning of time, that I'm special, that he loved me so much, he chose me before you know, I was even formed. And that was just amazing. What was really good, though, um, not that my grandpa died, but when my grandpa died... Uh, was actually having a situation where I could laugh and I knew that I'd got freedom on it. After the funeral, we went to my grandpa's house uh, to have the wake. My grandpa had quite a lot of um, really nice antiques and um, all sorts of paintings and really nice furniture. He left me a little bit of money, which he loved me and, and that's what he did. But the rest of the family who were in charge of his bits and pieces, I hadn't got anything. Now, it didn't bother me, but I was thinking, I wouldn't mind a photo. So at the funeral, I said to my dad, oh, you know, would it be okay to have a memento? And um, they hadn't thought about it. Of course they hadn't, because it was true. I, I was a little bit inconvenient for them. And um, you could see they'd kind of been caught out, and they scrambled around to find something. And they found this sort of long glass dish, which must have had peanuts, you know, put peanuts or olives or something like that in it. So they gave it to me. And what was really funny was as they gave it to me, it broke. <laughs> it was such a shabby old piece of thing that they got out of <laughs> Literally, as they handed it to me, it fell apart in my hands. <laughs> and it, you know, it wasn't so rubbish even that it had fallen apart at home. It had fallen apart in my hands in front of everybody. <laughs> and you know that thing where it's, it's a prophetic thing that's happened. It isn't just a glass dish falling apart. It was God showing me yeah, actually, yeah, they don't really think about you. But does it matter? No. Not at all. Because, you know, I'm loved by my, I was loved by the rest of my family. I was loved by my grandpa. But most importantly, I was really, really loved by the God of all creation. But so as Tim and I laughed, it was so freeing. Because, because I'd laughed, I knew I was completely free of it. And, you know, I just want to encourage you to really dig down with God for those things that might be painful. It might take months, it might take years, but you will get freedom on even those things there. So, in conclusion, Sarah, not at all perfect, neither was Abraham for that matter, but she is such an encouragement to us. She makes so many wrong choices, which I think, considering sometimes how long she had to wait, it's not surprising. She wasn't perfect. She lacked faith sometimes. She tried to find her own solutions when it looked as if God was taking a while. She hurt people when she was hurt. But she was blessed by a wonderful God. And we can know the same blessing. God is faithful. He does fulfill his promises. If events seem to prove otherwise, he is still faithful. He's faithful because he sticks with us even when we fail him. He's faithful because he sorts out our messes. He's faithful because he loves us. And he says beautiful names and words over us, which we need to believe for our own good. And if we don't, we need to dig out the lies, repent of believing that silly lie, laugh, and stick with God and God's people always. Amen. 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 Amen.